and welcome to Meet Me in the Middle, the podcast that seeks to find middle ground within sometimes the wellness world. Today is one of those sometimes's. <laughs> I'm Annika Buckle. And I'm Jenny Omani. And if you are enjoying our chats, we would love for you to pop over to whatever your streaming platform of choice is. Give us a nice five-star review. Say some nice words in the comments and share with your friends. Sharing is caring. <laughs> Um, okay, today we are going to talk about continuous glucose monitors. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh, I saw someone the other day with one on and was like, you are not diabetic. And I'm assuming this is the population we're going to talk about. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we, Jenny and I have been talking about this for a little bit. This is something we've wanted to cover for a while. Um, because I don't know about y'all, but the idea that there is some secret benefit to using a continuous glucose monitor without diabetes seems to kind of be everywhere on my wellness feeds right now. Um, and I mean, I'll be honest, it kind of sounds appealing when you start to really listen to the rhetoric around it. Um, before we go any further, I just want to give a content warning. We're going to talk about weight loss. We're going to talk about eating disorders. Um, as always, please look after your own mental health first if that isn't healthy for you today, as always, mm -hmm. totally. hedgehog content on the internet is a good antidote to that. <laughs> always, <Yes>. always. <laughs> so, so basically the premise is this by constantly tracking your blood glucose levels, you can quote unquote, hack your body and quote unquote, flatten out spikes to have more consistent levels of glucose, which in turn can help you in theory, lose weight, improve your metabolism, prevent diabetes. I'm going to read directly from, actually, I'm going to put this in the chat and I'm going to have Jenny read directly from the, one of the, um, tracking CGM tracking websites that I, Oh, this is like a manufacturer's note. Yeah. Um, okay. <clears throat> this is bullshit. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> um, coming down from sharp blood glucose increases can make you more tired, moody, and susceptible to cravings. In the long term, this imbalance can lead to weight gain, cardiovascular problems, and a turn and turn into more serious health conditions. Well, I mean, yeah, when your blood sugar is low, you're tired, moody, and you have food cravings because you're fucking hungry. <laughs> but I think what it's saying is like, we can make sure that you have these beautiful, smooth glucose curves that are not that are like undulating and rolling versus <laughs> peaks and valleys. Totally. That's exactly mm -hmm. it. Okay. Um, so let's start with what exactly a continuous glucose monitor is, and then we can kind of dive in and investigate the claims specifically a little bit more. Um, what I realized when I started looking into this, when it started kind of popping up on all my feeds is that I have actually been seeing these around on people a ton lately. I just didn't realize yeah. that that's what they were. So they're essentially wearable devices that automatically track blood glucose levels, AKA blood sugar through a tiny sensor inserted under your skin, usually on your belly or your arm. Um, the sensor measures your interstitial glucose level, which is the glucose found in the fluid between the cells every few minutes. Then a transmitter wirelessly sends the information somewhere, usually an app on your phone, or it might also be part of or connect to an insulin pump or a separate device. Um, unsurprisingly, these were created for people with diabetes, a group who definitely needs to monitor blood sugar levels regularly. And actually, this 
device, this technology has been really revolutionary for the diabetes community. I think, especially thinking about kids, one of my daughter's friends was diagnosed earlier this year. And something like this makes her life and her parents' lives so much easier because there's real-time data. And regardless of where they are, they can make sure that she stays healthy. So I really want to emphasize before we get into the conversation about non-diabetic or otherwise, you know, quote unquote, healthy people using them, that there is 100% a time and a place for using these. Obviously for diabetics, that is not what we're talking about today, but there may also be other situations where someone might be pre-diabetic or have specific family health history that you actually need this information for, perhaps even in pregnancy. What I think we need to focus on today is specifically people using them who are not otherwise indicated, or this is not specifically suggested for use by a medical professional along with monitoring. So yeah, it's like all the off-label uses. Please always if you default. are on label, <laughs> this Please is not applying to you. To a reputable medical professional. This is just like Ozempic, right? There is a yeah. time and a place. There are appropriate uses for this. That is not what we're kind of going to dissect today. No. Um, but I just want to make crystal clear that our stance is not that there is a problem with these, or that there is just a very specific time and a place. So yeah, they're not bad. They're just not maybe always being used in the best way. <laughs> No, they're actually phenomenal for the yeah. people they're meant for. Like absolutely quality of life changing phenomenal. Totally. And then there's and then there's the people that we'll talk about today. <laughs> We're not your like cute little type one diabetics who go to school and their parents used to just have to like hope their Cross diabetes their fingers. managed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I think, you know, much like so many of the topics that we've investigated, I think, you know, what middle ground looks like is recognizing where it's appropriate to use and where it might not be appropriate to use. So um, one of the hack claims I want to kind of open with is weight loss, because I see this again and again and again as like, you know, the new gold standard you're either using Ozempic or you're, you know, monitoring your glucose. Um, Maybe you're doing both if you're super trendy. <laughs> totally. So if this is your first episode with us, hi, welcome. But as a general rule, we take an anti-diet culture stance generally. And I know my own bias is anything taken on in the name of quote unquote health that is strictly about losing weight and not actually looking at your health is at best misdirected and at worst dangerous. I'm not going to spend too much time on my soapbox today, although I could, but mm -hmm. you're not going to hear me extol the merits of losing weight, regardless of if you're using a CGM or the Jenny Craig diet. <laughs> No. We know that 80% of people who lose weight put it back on and sometimes more. And what we are increasingly realizing in scientific literature is that this yo-yo weight loss is terribly damaging for your metabolism. I actually think that's what I find most ironic about this for a practice that in the same breath claims to be able to support, you know, hacking or improving quote unquote, your metabolism, that some of the knock-on effects of you know, the trying to use this for weight loss are actually potentially super damaging for your metabolism. Mm -hmm. Again, I don't want to take us too far off topic here because this episode isn't about metabolism, but I will say again and again, so many things in the wellness world are, you know, products and diets marketed as for a healthy metabolism is just diet in sheep's clothing. <laughs> totally. The term when metabolic health is literally a sales term. If you see the term metabolic health, it means someone's trying to sell you something. Yeah, we can rebrand a diet as wellness. It's still a diet. When we yeah. rebrand a diet as metabolism, it's still a diet. Yeah. 
A hundred percent. A hundred percent. The mental gymnastics is phenomenal. It's actually impressive in a way. <laughs> a lot of mental gymnastics in a lot of mm-hmm. uh, industries right now. I think yeah. actually. Word salad plus <laughs> mental gymnastics equals <laughs> wellness world sales pitch. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, so kind of coming back to this idea that, you know, you could flatten out your glucose spikes and that could lead to weight loss, even if that's your goal is actually approaching the result and then working backwards in a potentially dangerous or even really damaging way. You'll Mm -hmm. notice you can do the exact same things that you'll get this quote unquote advice to do from all the people coaching you on how to hack your glucose. If you're truly worried about your health or even your weight, you can implement all of these things without spending thousands of dollars on a CGM mm-hmm. that the hacks, you know, if you're tracking your blood glucose are things like eat fewer ultra processed foods, balance out your meals, eat more protein, eat more vegetables, eat lots mm-hmm. of fiber, walk after you eat. None of this is new information. No, this is stuff they've been telling diabetics forever. Well, and like general health, right? Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah. I think you'd be hard pressed to find a doctor that didn't say eat more vegetables or walking after a meal is a good idea. (laughs) Yeah. Movement and like eating whole foods is widely accepted (laughs) as like good. (laughs) Right. And I think this is the problem, right? Those pieces of advice on their own are a boring and B don't make anybody any money. Oh, I was just gonna say you can't market that. (laughs) Right. That's free knowledge. (laughs) Yeah. You got that today for for, for free from us. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. Feel Mm -hmm. free to send us Actually, don't send us any money, but do give us a nice review on yeah, your totally. podcast yeah. platforms. You can pay us with stars. <laughs> um, so I kind of want to come back a little bit to what the idea at the root of this, and that's, you know, that somehow transient glucose spikes in otherwise healthy people are causing fatty liver or diabetes or PCOS. There is no evidence to suggest that. In fact, what we are seeing is this becomes a more popular area of study in particular around non-diabetics, because there's a huge body of literature for the diabetic population around this. Um, But what we're starting to see when we look at these things at a, you know, scientific level is that there is a much, much bigger range of what is like a quote unquote healthy spike among healthy people after they eat and after they eat certain things. But that Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that they're bad or that they're doing damage to your body. I have that in my notes in all caps and I'm not going to yell at you, but I just, there is so much fear mongering around this. I really want to get that point across. A spike in glucose is a very normal thing that happens after you eat. And even if for some reason yours is higher than, you know, a a number, whatever that number is, it actually doesn't mean that there's anything bad happening in your body. No, it just means that your pancreas is like, we ate, it's time for some (laughs) insulin. And if your pancreas works, it will give you insulin. Right. That's, that's his job, right? I mean, the other thing that's, I think important to note is with all lab value ranges, there's always variation. Like there's not, not really solid agreed upon ranges. Like, and even if they're only off by a couple points, it's more just to say that like in different health authorities, normal Mm -hmm. ranges can vary depending like by even by decimal places, but they're not all the same. So if you're air quotes, biohacking, <laughs> what reference range are you picking? Right. Which health authority do you align with? Is it like a right. website you're reading? Like who's, who's reference? Who range decided? 
Yeah. Like it's more just to say like, there's, there's nuance there and there. So, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and I mean, your blood sugar also rises when you're fighting a cold after you've had a big workout on certain medications, when you're stressed, when you sleep, even sometimes when you get hot. It and when you mean that any you're of those super things are sick, bad. Yeah. And when you're super sick. Yeah, totally. Like we run insulin infusions on people when they're really sick in the hospital because their body's just like not working very well right now. Right. Right. <laughs> I need some help. <laughs> right. And again, except, you know, maybe getting a cold, nobody likes that, but none of the rest of those things are inherently bad. No. And they're well, and a cold's not a long-term problem. Right. Like this is a temporary state, right? And again, this is what we're seeing, right? When you're looking at transient glucose spikes, whether it's from a cold or a banana, right? There is natural flux within the human body, right? And the human body is always aiming for homeostasis, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's, it, it, it is, and our bodies are actually, and this is another mental gymnastics situation. Like our bodies are naturally really good at balancing themselves out Mm -hmm. if we let them and most proponents for this sort of wellness, um, like more out there wellness stuff are huge advocates for like, I'm not going to do these things because my body can do it on its own. Right. And then yet here we are. Do you know what I mean? Like, Oh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take vaccines. My body knows how to deal with a virus. It's like, uh, your body also (laughs) knows how to deal with eating food. (laughs) Well, yeah. Like if it works properly, if your pancreas is a happy pancreas, you're good. Right. But I, I just find the gymnastics part really funny. Cause it's like, yeah. depending on what your sales pitch requires you to say, it will depend on whether your body can do it on its own or whether you can or not. It. Right. <laughs> right. I read a great tweet the other day that was like, um, like fitness bro influencer. I hauled an animal carcass like a man. Also like fitness bro influencer come and explore the supplements I had delivered to my front door with me. (laughs) Right. And with no irony, right. That both of those things can exist. And again, you know, we are ultimately always seeking out the middle ground. We're not saying there isn't space for both you know, supplements delivered to your front door. I'm a big fan of anything delivered to my front door. Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, doing a really intense workout. But again, it's, you know, what what is somebody trying to sell you, right? So Totally, yeah. And it's also where the harm comes in, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can live your life, do your thing, but a lot of this is not people living their lives and just minding their own business. It's It's this evangelized form of like, you have to live your best life and this is how. Yeah. And if you don't, you don't care about your health and blah, blah, blah. Like anything bad that happens to you is your own fault. And actually that's a really great segue into this kind of next piece. What the other thing that we're starting to realize is more data about our bodies isn't necessarily better actually when we're Mm -hmm. healthy and, and, you know, happily living our lives. We're sold this idea by people who want to sell us things to give us that data. But I even just did a quick Google search uh, on of the phrase, why I stopped wearing a fitness tracker. And it shows one of the risks of constantly seeking out more and more information on our bodies, right? Yeah. I, I'm laughing and nodding emphatically because I have a Garmin watch and I genuinely don't. And this is what the literature supports. Like when I meet my step goal, like what, mm-hmm. whatever the watch tells me my step goal is, I'm, yeah. I'm like, good, yay me, but small yay. But like yesterday I missed it by like 600 steps and I was like, fucking watch. Big boo. <laughs> <laughs> take you off for the night. You didn't like 
cheer and <laughs> vibrate and get excited today. I wanted a tiny trophy and I did not receive one. I did not get the tiny trophy. And I think that that's, but that's what the literature supports is that like you feel bad about yourself when you don't hit the metric, but you don't actually feel that good about yourself when you yes. do. And it's, that is anecdotally a hundred percent how I function and I will do it every single day. I know better. And today I <laughs> and will yet, genu- here we are, you're wearing your watch <laughs> I, and I know how many steps I'm going to get today. And I've already planned out that I'll need to do an extra walk because of all the meetings I'm in today. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've learned well, nothing from this. <laughs> well, and I mean, this is exactly it, right? We become obsessed with maximizing and hacking, but the reality is a lot of that data, A, isn't even accurate. No, look, I'm shaking my arm <laughs> up and down and I'll probably get some steps from that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's be honest right. here. Right. And then when we mold our lives around it, it's not necessarily making us healthier, but it is disrupting our lives and leading us away from the ability to listen to our own body's cues for hunger, sleep, movement, et cetera. Right. It's also taking a bandwidth, man. Like we're yeah. all people <laughs> that are busy. We all in today's society have so many things going on. Like, do I really need to dedicate like precious bandwidth to how many fucking steps I've taken today. No, I don't, but I will. But here we are. (laughs) Well, and this is it. Like blood sugar is complex. It's multifaceted. Just because it rises after you eat a banana doesn't mean you shouldn't eat a banana, right? And and this kind of molds us into, you know, the other more data risk that we come across. And we talk about this a lot in our uh, orthorexia episode, Um, but this can lead down the road to disordered eating. Totally. Good foods and bad foods. Yep. Yeah. You're going to eat to your glucose spikes or your, you know, anticipated yeah. glucose levels. Yeah, exactly. Right. This, as much as we have talked about it before, it's critical and it bears repeating, you know, when potentially as many as three out of every four women has experienced some kind of disordered eating, it is crucial to be mindful of practices that lead us down mm-hmm. potentially dangerous pathways without really good reason. <laughs> totally. Yep. Yeah. And I think too, like, I'm, we're both moms. I would assume that there's a relatively high mom percentage in our listener demographic and your, our kids are like sponges too, right? They're, Mm -hmm. they're totally absorbing everything we're doing. So there's just that extra level of responsibility that kind of comes into, you know, how how we live our lives because it's not just us. And it sucks Mm -hmm. because I hate to put like, we have enough pressure as humans right now, especially as women. And, um, and as moms, as parents, you know, however we identify, like there's enough pressure on humans, but it's true. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right. And I think, you know, when we come back to what's the healthiest way to approach this, if this is something that you personally are concerned about is always looking at what you can add and not what you can demonize or not what you can Mm -hmm. take out. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Like the glucose hacks we were quote unquote glucose hacks we were talking about earlier, eat a balanced meal, eat more vegetables, eat more protein. Like none of that requires spending an excess of thousands of dollars. And again, Mm -hmm. kind of like we talked about with collagen last week, if you have the money to put into a continuous glucose monitor, you can redirect that spending into eating what might otherwise be more expensive food. Or 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 seeing a dietitian. Like if you mm-hmm. genuinely want to know the best way to eat for your circumstance mm-hmm. and you can drop the money on extra devices and supplements and whatnot, like registered dietitians are a phenomenal resource. And there it's like finding a counselor you want to find someone that's going to work with you and you might have to try a few different ones but that would be money better spent 
Um, because they will also, a good dietitian will be cognizant of eating patterns and disordered eating and, and all of that stuff. And they'll be cognizant of blood sugar levels. Like this is the, this is the basis of their training. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have a question for you. So if, where do you, where do people get pulled into all of this to start? Is it literally just because they're, they feel that controlling the spikes in their glucose will result in all of those positive benefits you left, you, you listed earlier, or I think I listed. I think, I I think a lot of it is honestly, because when you look at, um, and actually I have a a case study I'm going to talk about in a second that was sent by a listener. Um, but I think it, there are certain, it's kind of like, there are certain wellness paths that your algorithm will take you down depending on it's what It's like you're... a choose your own adventure. Yeah. Except it's are not always open a the conscious door on the right choice. Or the door on the left. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you just walk through the door and you don't even realize all of a sudden now, you know, your content is curated the way that it is. But I think it's like so many other wellness trends, right? When we see it being something that is quote unquote talked about a lot, mm. whether it's real or not kind of falls by the wayside. <laughs> From a marketing perspective, do you know if the people that are selling the off-label mo- continuous glucose monitors are the same as the ones that are selling them for diabetics? Like, are you, are people buying them, like people that are buying them privately, are those companies, the same companies, like, do they just have like a two sort of tiered selling stream? That's a or good are, question. I I'm think cu- I'm just curious. I don't know. I think probably. I also think a lot of times what you have is somebody who's like selling you, uh, I'll help you analyze your data. And then separately, you yourself have to go off and get the device that will give you right. the, that data that yes. somebody will quote unquote walk through with you. Because the company that's making them will have some sort of, because these have all received um approval, like at a federal mm-hmm. level, right? So yeah. they won't be able to, like, it will be approved for a specific use. And so that company wouldn't be allowed to sell it for not that use. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, there is not, not openly. There isn't as much restriction around that. And we touched on this a little bit actually in our birth. Oh, because it's a device, but medical devices have real weird regulatory stuff in both Canada and the U S I can't speak to Europe. So let's just Speak specifically Let's be honest. Canada they probably the just have better rules in Europe. <laughs> they just seem like more straightforward people. <laughs> At least around health stuff, I would say they that really seems do. to be the case. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it there was a time in Canada that you could not get one without a prescription. Yeah, that um, makes sense. But that time has come and gone. And I will say a lot of, if you have extended medical coverage and you have coverage for it, you, if you're using this off label, you're not going to have that coverage, which yeah. I, I don't think is surprising, but is it bears, no bears commenting. And again, in the U S I'm sure that's even more so the case because I know <laughs> a lot of for-profit companies aren't going to reimburse something that you just think you want to know rather than yeah. you need to live. They don't even want to reimburse things you need to live. So, <laughs> well, and like how much of the American like sales economy is Canadians just going down to get stuff they can't get in Canada? <laughs> Right. Right. Yeah. It's a real, it's a thing folks. Yeah, It is a thing. So, okay. So people buy their device and then that makes sense that they would then have someone who is not the device maker. Right. 
providing them with the um data interpretations the yeah yeah exactly right okay and presumably these people are not endocrinologists it's just i'm just gonna go out on a whim (laughs) well we have a a case study coming up and i think it's a pretty good example of like the grift that's happening right now so i just one thing i want to touch on before we get there is that I also want to call out some of the pushback around this from diabetics and from disabled communities. Mm, yep. Just like we talked about in detail in our Ozempic episode, when we're talking about life-saving medical tools being used by a community that doesn't require it to function for life, it puts those communities at risk. It makes them harder to get. It makes them more expensive. Mm-hmm. You know, all of those pieces, it makes it harder to get coverage a lot of times, even mm. if you have extended coverage. Um, I... I think in the vein of, you know, highlighting voices that can speak to this from personal experience, I have a a bit of a brick I'm going to send in the chat um, that I'll have you read. But this is from uh, diabetes advocate Alexa Gregoire. It's a little bit long, but again, I think this is voices from within the community calling this out that I think it's worth us highlighting today. Oh, totally. Because I am not a diabetic. So I, and I don't have any diabetics in my family. So like, this is just my opinion and my bias versus actually somebody who lives with it. Okay. So this is from, um, somebody who is diabetic then? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So this is a, a, her take on it. Okay. Or someone who has diabetes. I think that's, that's the term that's the phrasing that is, that is better. That's my bad apologies. These devices are being taken out of the hands of those who require them to live. Even without non-diabetics purchasing CGM devices for unnecessary use, only a limited number of diabetics have access to such devices. CGM technology is not covered under provincial health insurance plans. That's bullshit. Canadians with type 1 diabetes whose private or group insurance plan does not include CGM or who have no such insurance and must go out of pocket. For those who can afford to access CGM devices are spending hundreds of dollars every month on top of the price of insulin and other diabetic technology and healthcare services, PS, insulin or the needles diabetics have to pay for too, which is just another thing that's so wrong. Messed up. And they need them. Like they will live otherwise. Anyways, sorry. I can't even get through this brick. I'm so annoyed. The price of insulin and other diabetic technology and healthcare services to live with a chronic disease that is stigmatized and often invisible to the public eye, excellent point, is overwhelming enough without having to fight able-bodied individuals to access life-saving technologies that were made for us. Yeah, totally. She has every right to be absolutely livid. Yeah. Yeah. And again, just like when we were talking about semaglutides, right? Like what we see again and again is something becomes like a quote unquote cool wellness trend and it puts, you know, real communities that need access to these things at risk. Well, and I mean, I'm thinking from the type one diabetic perspective, because like you have a, a, a kid in your mm-hmm. you know life with type one diabetes, uh, same. And the fact that I remember being, when I first had kids thinking of parents who send their kids to school and have to like, my mom was a teacher and she said that there was like, if there wasn't someone at the school trained to do the blood sugar testing, the kid wasn't allowed to go to school. So if the school didn't have someone there, the parent would have to come in at whatever intervals and check their kid's blood sugar. And so, and not everybody was comfortable taking on the responsibility to check it and like all of this stuff. So, but then it put a parent in a position of potentially not being able to work so that they could go in and make sure that their kid was like safe, like fundamentally, physically, physiologically safe. Yeah. And now with these monitors, now at our school, there's several people who check 
there's blood sugars and, and all the kids know who the people are. And like, they all know it's, they all know what to do, mm-hmm. like to get help and whatever, if this kid seems off and they've been told what that looks like and all this, but the parent can just pull up his phone right? and there's an app and he can see how his kid's doing. Yeah. So yeah. She doesn't it's huge. have to, she can like eat because kids want to eat cupcakes at a party and kids want to do. And like, yes, the world doesn't end if you can't eat a cupcake because you're diabetic, but I mean- it's just, it's not as inclusive and those things and especially have Especially when you're a small human who has to worry about food all of the time. Like, yeah. isn't it nice to be able to take that layer of stress off of those little bodies, right? When you talk about orthorexia, I mean, yeah. what about kids who genuinely have to, and humans, not just kids, like yeah. there are adults that have, you know, diabetes as well. And, and it's tricky. Like it's a complicated disease um, and it's, the treatment is- painful like I mean you're poking yourself multiple times a day like there's a lot of I just don't want to do this anymore mm-hmm. things that come mm-hmm. up with that and with the continuous monitors and insulin pumps when you put those two together instead of poking multiple times a day both to check your blood sugar and to give insulin you have these devices that are being changed less frequently it's just the quality of life perspective mm-hmm. is huge mm-hmm. And I think that's really, I totally feel what this person's saying because you're just, it's not only like quantity of life, it's quality of life for, for this group. And Absolutely. it's in, misuse of these devices is impacting both. Yeah. For this population. For sure. For sure. And again, you know, when we're seeing it, the, the benefits are negligible at best and questionable at worst, you know, it's, it, mm-hmm. it bears really looking at does this make sense so yeah um as uh i mentioned i'm excited to get into kind of an example of how this grift works within the wellness space (laughs) using a specific example now i want to clarify that while i'm using this person as an example my goal is not to vilify her i recently heard the phrase soft on people hard on systems and i really oh i like that that. (gasps) yeah right that's good yeah um, so I don't, you know, that's well, like an like, Oprah aha moment, right? <laughs> yeah, where she'd it's be like, oh, like, oh, 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 say that again. Yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's so true, though. I think that, yep, yeah. okay, yeah. So, you Talk know, I don't people hard on systems, yeah, right? And we're making you know, t shirts. I don't, do we make t shirts? Oh my god, if we oh did, god, we're gonna make t shirts. If we did and we sold those, would you buy one? dear listener oh i think you're talking to me i was like oh, yes no. annika I oh no oh, obviously sorry. you and I okay <laughs> i'm gonna get a t-shirt maybe a like a hoodie a with like a big graphic font <laughs> on the back okay anyways i digress um okay so i well i don't love kind of the like feeling of piling on people that i think a lot of exposés have i also think it's important to hold people accountable when they're making yeah. unsubstantiated and even potentially harmful claims so shout out to friend of the show and longtime listener Lori h for sending this my way thank you Lori. this was really interesting to look at so we're going to talk about a woman who calls herself the glucose goddess <laughs> oh i've heard enough uh, AKA Jesse in which I'm sure I butcher the pronunciation on. I'm just going to, can I look her... her up on Instagram right yes, now you and can. just make, make some harsh judgments based on appearances. I'm <laughs> soft on goddess? people, hard on systems. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I'm just, sorry. I'm oh, just going to call her glucose goddess from here on out. Oh um, my God. She's got a huge account who has not only a massive following on social media, but also like her blue check mark probably wasn't paid. She probably <laughs> got that before you could buy one. 
Um, so she's recently written a book called The Glucose Revolution, which is also an Amazon bestseller. Um, um, did you says she's a French biochemist? Did we verify? That oh, she's a just okay. Wait. Sorry, is she really French? Just I need wait. to know everything. Okay, sorry. Go. <laughs> okay, so she talks a lot about you know quote unquote hacks, supposedly simple things you can do to help flatten out your glucose spikes. This is exactly the same concept that we're talking about with glucose monitors. Of course, glucose monitors are, are something that she recommends, but let's really take a look at this. For example, she says, if you want to quote, lose weight, gain energy and boost your sex drive, that it quote, could be as simple as deconstructing that lunchtime tuna sandwich. So you eat the salad first and then the tuna and bread last. She's, oh no! Sorry, go. Sorry, I'm, I'm no. Oh, nope. She's really into this idea that there is a quote-unquote right way to eat foods. Um. So let's talk a little bit about why we should be critical of what she's selling us, including the continuous glucose monitors. Mm-hmm. First, her relevant education does not exist related to dispensing health or even nutrition advice. I knew it. <laughs> I knew now, it. Kind of harsh because especially in the world of nutrition, yes, it is a little bit the wild, wild west out there and not even all registered dietitians are appropriate, appropriately educated on disordered eating patterns. But in her own bio, she writes that she's a biochemist, author, and product developer, none of which feels particularly relevant to the specific nutrition advice she's giving people. She's not, well, I mean, it's like, it's a clickbait Lincoln bio. Mm-hmm. Totally, right? I mean, Is she again, French? Did we verify her, her I, nationality? I speak to that, but I'm sure you could watch a video with her and figure it out right she away. She has an extante goo on her name, so probably. <laughs> At a minimum, she, she might be French. Her last name is French, whether she yeah. is or not. Okay. <laughs> so as with a lot of questionable advice in the wellness world, she makes a whole whack of wild and unsubstantiated claims in one of her Instagram stories where she had it ask me anything. Someone asked about support for PCOS and she said it could be quote reversed. I mean, if that's true, wouldn't it be great for all the doctors around the world working in women's health to know that? Because as of right now, there is no cure. You can absolutely manage symptoms and even yes with your diet, but telling somebody that they can reverse a medical diagnosis like this is at a minimum untrue and at worst actually really cruel. And it's also going to put people in, yeah, it is cruel because they're not going to go for traditional mm-hmm. modern treatment and be in a lot of pain. <laughs> That's yeah. a painful, awful. Yeah, absolutely. And I also, I understand, right. When you're dealing with something like this, that doesn't have a lot of, you know, really great medical support behind it. A lot like of most times, women's health issues, right, really, right. A doctor throws up their hands and say, well, it's either in your head or good luck. We don't love that. Right. But I think giving people false hope is is not the right approach to balance that out. <laughs> no, no, it's just it's just lying is what it is. Um, and then and then we get into her. There's a quote unquote correct way to eat food thing. What we're actually doing is we're getting into disordered eating territory, right? Mm-hmm. Ritualistic food behaviors are one of the first things to go up when you're in eating disorder counseling or therapy, because that interrupts our relationship with food. So on its own, if you're somebody who's never had a history of disordered eating, you know, on the surface, this might look fine to you, but the problem is it starts to walk us into territory that can lay the groundwork for disordered eating patterns. And again, that just feels too risky for something that isn't borne out by science. Well, totally. And like everything you eat just ends up in your stomach and then working its way through your digestive system. So like, it doesn't even make sense. I found it. It all goes to the same place. They're really great. Um, cookie monster meme the other day that said to your stomach all potatoes are mashed 
right? Well, I think part of what it is though, is that it's not wrong. You will lose weight if you, if you eat in a specific order in the sense that if you literally force yourself to eat a big salad Mm -hmm. before anything, then you're going to be more full by the time you get to to the potatoes or the the other stuff. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. the, the more calorically dense food. And so you just like would take in less calories. Like it's just, yeah, I don't know. Right. And again, it's like, if you're not, you know, necessarily, let's say you're applying this and you haven't gotten a continuous glucose monitor. So you're not seeing what it does in your own body. Mm -hmm. What you might see then is the result that says, oh yes, this, you know, this thing that she says worked for me too. And again, to your point, it's a little bit like it's chicken or the egg. And again, what we see from the glucose goddess is like, she's an N of one. And then she Mm -hmm. takes that and extrapolates it out to this worked for Mm -hmm. me. Therefore, everybody should do it this way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think a lot of these people too, what they're actually suggesting in some cases, and it's not a bad thing is that you're mixing like fiber, fat, protein, like you're making a war well, nutritionally balanced, right. Something to eat, which will actually keep you full longer. And like, there's evidence to support that. Like, yeah, if you just eat straight carbs, like, yeah, like you're hungry sooner. Like it's just, right. it's just That's how your body it processes it, breaks it. it down. It's like, I want more. So, but, but it doesn't need to be in this grifty way. Well, and totally. once again, you don't make money off of saying like, Hey, just need a balanced you- meal. <laughs> Make sure there's some healthy fats and fiber in everything you're eating. Yeah, right. And here's the other thing I find really fascinating about, you know, as we talk about glucose goddess, but a lot of people kind of in the same space of the wellness world, when you put this stress and pressure on the correct way to eat things, quote unquote, without, Mm -hmm. you know, there's no talking about the impact of stress on our glucose levels. (laughs) This is actually something that's incredibly well documented. (laughs) Yeah especially around diabetics and anxiety. Keep Mm -hmm. in mind, diabetics, again, are absolutely a group that needs to focus on and pay close attention to glucose levels. But this mental health component is always just kind of swept under the rug, completely unacknowledged when it really ties into this, you know, these very problematic wellness trends. And that's, again, we get this this conflation of privilege with health, right? You have the privilege to do these things automatically that makes you healthier. Um, But if you have the privilege you know, and means to spend time and money thinking about the quality of the food you eat, you know, you can absolutely take her advice that eating vegetables at every meal is a great plan. Just like we did (laughs) categorically. We already said that. Right. (laughs) If you have the means for fresh, buy our t-shirt. We already said that. (laughs) You know, that's fine. It's good even, but her reasoning is because the fiber will improve your glucose levels. And first veggies aren't the only thing that you eat with fiber. And second, and I cannot stress this enough. If you aren't diabetic, you don't need to flatten your glucose curve. No. Transient glucose spikes in non-diabetics are a totally normal thing that happens when we Mm -hmm. eat things. Mm -hmm. Especially after we eat carbs, glucose levels will rise. Any kind of carbs like fruits, not just, you know, white bread, demonized poor, poor white bread, (laughs) poor white bread and potatoes, man. (laughs) These are normal things that bodies do. And our bodies actually need carbs. There is yeah. no evidence that regular glucose spikes, like finishing off the bag of gummy candies or even just eating a plain pear, cause any kind of long term health impact. And again, when we look at numbers that suggest upwards of 65% of women in particular have experienced eating disorders, it's actively Ugh. putting you at a higher risk for your health than your blood sugar managing the digestion of a pear. 
Yeah. And my understanding too, for people that actually understand this, and I could be wrong because I'm regurgitating information from actual people that know what they're talking about. And I don't, um, is that even if you have an air quote spike, it's, that's not what matters. Like there, like if you look at a curve, there's different ways for a curve to happen Mm -hmm. and just the shape can be different, but the top, the, the high point and the low point can still be the same. So like they're the CGM proponents are like saying that really quick get to the top point is bad, but you can have a curve that it ends up having the same collected data. It just looks like a different shape because the time intervals to get to the top, the peak number are just different because of how it lands on the X and the Y. So like your high number is the same, your low number is the same. It just looks different because of how long it took you to get to the high number. Right. And that's not, that doesn't matter. Right. Well, and again, you know, your high number after eating a pear, and I use pear as an example because she has this graphic that shows like- She hates pears. Yeah. Here's what you're, Mm -hmm. no, she doesn't hate pears, but she does say you should never eat a pear on its own. It always has to have like a peanut butter or a healthy fat or a something paired with it because that slows down butter with a pear that's not a good anyways (laughs) your you know high watermark after eating a pear might be lower than my high watermark after eating a pear but that doesn't mean that the pear is bad for me it just means my body processed it differently and to the other side of that is if i don't spike the way you think I do to a pear? Does it mean the pear is good for me and bad for you? Right. Because it sounds like universally the pear should never be eaten on its own. Right. Right. So and again, this is our problem when we peanut butter. This thing worked this way for me, therefore everybody needs to eat this way. We just yeah. simply know that that's not true. So no. please don't um, trust when somebody tells you that it is. <laughs> well, and we know from all data collection for food-related things that like people categorically do not document accurate food intake for themselves totally it is it's just almost impossible for our brains we don't understand portion size we yeah and that's why when you're pregnant you drink a certain amount of the the orange drink because it's it has to be measured to know what the response is like that's how um like situationally how controlled it needs to be to actually have a response that fits a that's curve accurate that, right yeah, that it's not just accurate. eat a banana right it's eat yeah. this drink where we know exactly how many grams of carbs grams of like where we know exactly the composition of that drink and then we have a predicted response and if you don't you know whatever if you don't fall within x then there's further investigation but that's how prescriptive it is mm-hmm. right so and I think once you start measuring your food, you have really crossed into a not great place. That's typically a pretty large red flag for I think so. disordered eating. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, uh, eat more vegetables, walk after a meal if you want to. Um, don't be afraid of food. <laughs> no, don't be afraid of food. And if you have enough money for these devices, honestly, and you care that much and you need you need that much information about nutrition you hire somebody to help you, man. Like there are good people in this world to help guide you with that. And they can do it more responsibly. Leave the glucose monitors for the people who need them. Step away from the glucose (laughs) monitors. 
so much for listening to we really appreciate your support and if you could do us a big favor and subscribe and share this podcast it would mean the world to us